Today's scripture reading is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said that, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Recent events of our world remind us of a truth that history has taught us over and over again, and that is peace takes power. Peace takes power. If there's going to be peace, you have to have the power not only to win it, you got to have the power to keep it. The United Nations was formed many, many years ago following World War II for the point of maintaining and promoting peace among the nations. And having a bit of relative success, however you want to define that, I find it ironic that the United Nations, which was formed to promote peace, has what is called a peacekeeping force. That the organization that is designed for peace uses power and force in attempts to maintain it. Because, beloved, the irony of it is that peace and power go together. That's what we see in our world. That's what we see in the kingdom of God. It takes peace and power. In the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, as we begin to study these in the last couple of weeks, give us examples of the disciples of what it means to have peace and power. And yet we learn as we look at these examples is that the peace of which we're referring to is not the peace that the world gives, nor is it the power that the world knows. For we do understand that there is a peace that only Jesus can give because only Jesus promised. John Chapter 14, verse 27, he tells his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because there is a peace of which the world knows not. But not only is there a peace of which the world knows not, there is also a power which the world cannot fathom. 
and it comes only through him. In Acts chapter, five, chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, but you will receive power, speaking to the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is the peace, and this is the power that the world can't give. The peace that comes through Jesus Christ and a power that's evidenced at the presence of Holy Spirit. This is the peace and the power that only comes as the church is gathered together. This is what we see when the disciples were gathered together on that first day of the week and Jesus appeared. What did he bring? What did he establish? In the midst of the congregation, peace, and power. The Bible records for us 10 instances, 10 instances of Jesus appearing bodily after the resurrection. 10 are recorded. And each appearance revealing some important, significant encouragement and spiritual truth for the ongoing life and discipline of the church and the disciples of Jesus. And these appearances were crucial. They were absolutely crucial to the laying of the foundation of what the church would be and what the church would proclaim. These appearances of Jesus. In other words, beloved, it's important to understand that Jesus did not appear all these times just because he had nothing else to do. He didn't appear all these times because he had nowhere else to go. But on the contrary, he appeared on purpose with purpose. And in fact, of the ten appearances, the first five appearances tell us something because they all occurred on the first day of the week. They all occurred on Resurrection Sunday. As we saw last week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene early in the morning at the tomb. Then we're told that he appeared later on to several ladies, including Joanna and the other Mary. Then he appeared to Simon Peter. And then he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And after a full day of appearing, finally ends the day appearing in our text. 
to the disciples gathered in the evening behind the locked doors at the end of the day. It is important to understand, beloved, that the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus form the foundations of the church. The church and the Christian community is a community of faith. And that faith is in the living Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And since that is the case, the eyewitness testimony of the first disciples is crucial for this. Absolutely crucial. Beloved, the reason that we are a church today is because of the eyewitness testimony of the first disciples. That's why we're here. The first disciples had to see Jesus. They had to see him. They could hear about him. But if they were going to lay a firm and sure, unshakable foundation, they had to see him. And that's why he appeared over and over and over again. The very foundations of the church are at stake. The gospel itself is at stake. That's what it says. The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ is not simply that he was raised, but the gospel is that they saw him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at some at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. You see what the apostle Paul did there? Jesus Christ died buried, raised, appeared. This is what we preach. This is what we preach. It was, beloved, don't miss this. It was the appearances of Jesus that brought the church together. That's what brought them together. 
the testimonies that Jesus is alive. And not only alive, but we've seen him. That's what brought them together. The appearances of Jesus. You know what it did? It confirmed the promises of Jesus. The appearances of Jesus brought the church together, and as we shall see this morning, and bringing them together, granted the church a peace and a power that are absolutely crucial for the sustaining of the people of faith. Peace and a power. Now, early that morning, early that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, as we saw last week, right, testified to seeing and speaking with Jesus. And then the Bible says that on that same Sunday, that same Sunday evening, in verse 19 of chapter 20, the disciples were gathered together and had locked all the doors. been a long day. But notice they have come together. But they're not crazy. And they locked the doors, Brother Brad. They locked the doors. Someone has said they probably locked the gate, too. Wasn't just the doors of the houses that were locked. It was the gates to the outside. That place was bolted down. It had become a barricade. And I'm convinced, beloved, that this was surely the first time, the first time they had all been together since the crucifixion. Since that night when they all scattered. This evening, they had all come back together. And this gathering takes place on Sunday evening, no less. And why are they gathered? Well, they're gathered because they're in danger. They gather because they're in doubt. And they gather together because they're under distress. They were in danger, weren't they? The Bible says the Jewish authorities had probably begun, they had probably begun to hear about the empty tomb. Rumors of the empty tomb had begun to spread. And the Jewish authorities likely assumed that the disciples had taken the body. And if that's the case, if the disciples had taken the body, then they were going to have to put an end to this before this thing and this movement got out of hand. And so our text tells us that they locked them doors because they were afraid that the Jewish authorities would be coming for them. But not only were they afraid, they were in distress. I mean, think about this. The future was uncertain. For the last three years, many of them had just given up 
everything to follow Jesus, and now Jesus was gone. Jesus was gone. Who would lead them now? Where would they go? Should they continue the mission? What exactly is the mission? How do they return to their former lives? Should they even be considering doing so? They're in danger, they're in distress, and they're also in doubt. There's no doubt. There. There's definitely doubt going on, beloved. There's definitely doubt going on. Sure, sure, some had claimed to see Jesus, but, I mean, how much credence could you put in that? Were they supposed to base their lives on these testimonies of some of Jesus' closest friends? I mean, they liable to say anything. Sure, sure, beloved, sure, the resurrection was possible. But really, who was willing to risk life and limb, wealth and welfare on a rumor So they're gathered there in danger, in distress, in doubt. They gather in that locked and secluded home. And these were the first disciples, beloved. Don't miss that. This is the gathering of the first disciples and they are in doubt they are fearful they are anxious they are worried and into that room came the Lord Jesus Christ bringing peace and power now listen, we are not told exactly how Jesus got in the room because the emphasis of the text is on the fact that the doors were locked. Now, maybe he had a key. Either he had a key or he just suddenly and miraculously materialized. The impression from the text is not that Jesus unlocked the doors, but the impression from the text is that Jesus suddenly appeared, and not just appeared in the room, but as the King James Version rightly translates it, appeared in their midst. In their midst, in the midst of them, in the middle, not just among them, hanging out on the fringes, unseen, unnoticed, 
unrecognizable. No, the Bible says that he appeared in the center of the gathering. Commanding attention. In the midst. It is the idea of Luke, of Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And he took this child, and the Bible says that he placed the child in the midst of them. With everybody looking at the child. And Jesus says, unless you become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. In the midst, in the center of the conversation. Like he says later on in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus declared that his presence is the key. His presence is the key to discerning true faithfulness. And where he says, again, the King James rightly translates, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst, not on the fringes, not just hanging out, but in the midst of them. Here, beloved, was Christ establishing what would be the foundation of the church, Christ-centered fellowship. Christness not just among his people, but Christ in the midst of his people. Christ at the center of his people. It is Christ at the center of our worship. It is Christ at the center of our lives. Listen, beloved, Christ doesn't come this morning to be an observer of worship. He is not here to observe what we do. He is here to direct what we do. He comes to participate. He comes to sing. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Jesus says, and I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And let me give you a revelation this morning, beloved. Some of you like to believe and been living under the false impression that I don't sing well. That is a fallacy. That is a misnomer. That is a rumor you should disregard. Because I sing better than you think. You just don't have ears sanctified enough to hear how good it is. But God does. God does. God hears me singing in unison with Jesus, and he makes me sound oh, oh, so sweet. 
Jesus is in the midst making us all sound like we should. He's in the midst of us this, this morning, beloved. But on that first Lord's Day, on that first resurrection morning, Jesus was not there singing. He was there bringing peace and power. And that's what his presence does. That's what his presence does. His presence brought peace. In the room where the disciples were anxious, in the room where the disciples were fearful, in the room where the disciples were doubting, in the room where they were failing, Jesus appeared and spoke a word of peace. Shalom. Peace be with you. Beloved, here was a group of people who for all intents and purposes had been shadowed out. Judas was in the wind, having betrayed them all and probably took the money with him. Jesus had died. And now, rumors about his body and where it was and who took it were spreading quickly. There was fear and failure in that room. There was, was self-doubt and self-disappointment in that room. And in the midst of that group, Jesus appears and says, peace. 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 As he had done, Mark chapter 4, verse 39, to the raging storm on the sea, so also Jesus on that evening spoke to the storms that were raging in the hearts of his disciples and in the minds of his disciples. And Jesus said again, peace, be still. Peace, 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 beloved. Shalom. In Greek irony, it is the expression of comfort. It is the expression of consolation. It is the expression of contentment. It is expressing a desire for flourishing in body and soul. It is a desire to be free from friction and worry. It is the end of hostility and the promotion of prosperity and wholeness. It is the idea that everything is well. And this is who God is. Peace is at the very nature of God. Peace is his name, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 24, that he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, 
He is called the God of peace. Because peace is the goal of all creation. It is the hope of God's people. When God desires to speak a blessing upon his people, the message is unmistakably clear. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is God's desire for his people from the very beginning. That it would be well with their souls. And this is what he says. Even after his people rebel, even after they fall into idolatry, even after they fall into sin, when God's people rebelled and fell into sin, what is the message God gives to the prophet Isaiah to speak? Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. The warfare is over. The end of hostility. Comfort, consolation, contentment has come. When Christ came into the world, beloved, what does the Bible says he came to bring? Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. Peace on earth. So he is. And not only did he bring peace, but according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, he is our peace. He is our peace. And that is why the gospel is called in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, the gospel of peace. This is the good news of the gospel, beloved. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that Christ brought to his disciples on that first Lord's day. This is the good news that Christ brings to us every Lord's day. Whatever your fear, whatever your failure, whatever your faults, in Christ this morning you have peace. Peace, peace, however often you have failed this week, in Christ Jesus you have peace. Peace, beloved, peace, peace, peace. Listen, listen. Those disciples had abandoned Jesus. Those disciples were faltering. Jesus appears 
in the midst of that congregation and declares, God is not angry with you. He is not here for retribution. He is not here for revenge. But here, he is here to remind you, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. That's it, beloved. That's it. You have peace with God. Through our Lord, Jesus Christ. How important is that this morning? Beloved, that is everything. That is everything. When the disciples saw Jesus, I'm going to show you how important it is. When the disciples saw Jesus, and more importantly, I believe that when they heard Jesus put the blessing of peace upon them, the Bible says in verse 20, they were glad. Oh, you better believe they were glad. They were glad like Joseph's brothers were glad. They knew what they had done. They knew their hearts and their minds. And when they heard Jesus say, peace be upon you, the Bible says they were glad. They were glad. They were glad. They were glad to see Jesus. But even more, beloved, they were glad because Jesus had forgiven them their failures and their faults. This is the joy for all the saints this morning. This should be the source of our rejoicing. This is what we should come to hear every Lord's day. This is what makes the heart glad. Are you glad this morning? Are you glad this morning? Well, you should be because your sins are forgiven. Are you glad this morning? Well, you should be because God says he is not angry with you. Are you glad this morning? Well, you should be because God has declared peace on your soul. Are you glad this morning? Well, you should be because Jesus is alive, beloved. And you should be glad. For the psalmist says, in Psalm 122 and verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? Because there is peace. There is, the, there is God pronouncing peace on my soul. There is God saying, it is well with my soul. And I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. And I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. 
He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. That's the peace of God, beloved. The world doesn't know anything about it. The world didn't give it. And this morning, the world can't take it away. But Jesus didn't just appear to give peace. He also appeared to give power. Power. His presence is power. Twice, twice Jesus spoke peace to his disciples. Because like you and me, probably they hard of hearing. They hard of hearing. They hard of believing. Twice he says to them, peace be upon you. But the second time, he did more than just speak peace. He reminded them of the mission. And then he gave them the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to carry it through. Notice what it says in verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Beloved, peace is one thing. But if the church was going to persevere in the mission, she would need spiritual strength. She would need guidance. In other words, she would need power. And this is who the Holy Spirit is. On the first day of the week. As the disciples were assembled together, they were filled with Holy Spirit. But I, mean, I want you to understand something. Jesus had met with Mary and told Mary, don't touch him. He had met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and instructed them in the word of God. He didn't talk to them or to say anything about the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until they were all gathered together. It is when they were assembled as the called out ones of Christ. That as they were gathered together, Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because, beloved, there is a filling of the Holy Spirit that only comes as the church of God is gathered together. This is not your own prayer room closet filling. This is not your own personal private time devotions filling. This is the feeling that comes when God's people are gathered together in one place, seeking and believing and trusting in Jesus. There is a power that comes as they take courage 
to come together. And here's Jesus giving them a foretaste of what the greater gathering would receive on Pentecost. This filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible reminds us that Jesus breathed upon them because the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 34 that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And in that locked room, that spirit which filled Jesus, he now filled them. This is what John at Baptist had, prophes had, had prophesied Jesus would do. In, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said that he baptized with water, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost. And this baptism of the Holy Ghost is power. Power. Power to preach God's judgment against sin. Power. Power to proclaim God's forgiveness of sin in Christ Jesus. Listen, beloved. Jesus here establishes once again that the apostles would stand as the foundation of the church. And as they stood teaching, they taught because they understood the nature of forgiveness of sin. They taught because they understood the grace and the mercy of God. They taught because they had experienced the terribleness of sin and the greatness of grace. And Jesus says to them, here's the mission. The mission is life and death. The mission is judgment and mercy. And you will proclaim both of them. But the Holy Spirit is the one who will lead you to discern. In verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Beloved, it takes power. It takes wisdom. It takes discernment to preach the gospel faithfully. It takes Holy Spirit power. You know why? Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the salvation of the world, but the cross of Jesus Christ is also the judgment of the world. And when it is faithfully proclaimed, beloved, it is that two-edged sword, salvation and judgment. For the message of the cross, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's no getting around it. 
There is no getting around it. When the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, beloved, men and women are condemned to hell. There is no getting around it. It is the exposure of their lack of faith in God and in Christ. But also, when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, men and women are fitted for heaven. And the good news is that that need not be anybody here this morning. All of us this morning, hearing the message of Jesus raised from the dead, can be fitted for heaven. Having your sins forgiven, receiving eternal life. Forgiveness of sin is available. Eternal life in Jesus Christ is available. As God has always declared, and he's declaring this morning, choose life. Choose life. Those who refuse to believe will be condemned to an everlasting death. But those who believe and trust in Christ have their sins forgiven and have been granted eternal life. God says, choose life. Choose life this morning. Those who turn from Jesus are condemned. They have been condemned. They will be condemned. But by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, I can say with all assurance, those who trust in Jesus, the risen living Jesus, the one raised from the dead, the one who appeared to those gathered disciples on that first Lord's day, those who trust in that Jesus, there is now no condemnation. For all is well with their soul. And they have peace. There is peace this morning. There is peace. No need to fear. No need to worry. No need to doubt. Trust. And there is peace. And there is power. In the name of of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.